So I get to present first this morning. I don't want to set the tone and the spirit for the rest of our conference. You know, I believe in Matthew 22 when it says, the love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that God actually commissions and anoints different people to stimulate different parts of our being towards loving God. And I feel like yesterday our minds were stimulated um, by, especially for, uh, during the leadership summit and then on into the evening with Leon's Crump and Louis Giglio, who was here in the evening uh, last night, many of you, wonderful. And I feel like we were very stimulated in our minds by Leon's presentation of the history and challenged in our spirits as worshipers that don't just sacrifice with the fruit of our lips, but with the sacrifice of our lives unto justice. And I just feel like this morning, I want us to come with a posture of humility and prayer into the rest of our day. I feel like our mind is going to be stimulated, our bodies are going to be expressive in worship. We're going to love God with all of our being, but I just want to posture ourselves in the spirit, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and in, in our souls to love God today by, by coming before him and really the, uh, the preaching, the purpose of my preaching this morning is not to, uh, not to shift a paradigm or give a new thought even necessarily, it's actually to set us up for a moment of exchanging with God. And I've been on staff with the International House of Prayer over, over uh, 12 years now and I've been doing One Race Movement, which is very much a prayer movement as much as it is anything else for unity and racial reconciliation. And I believe, I believe that prayer changes things. And I believe preaching in many times is actually intended to set us up for an exchange with God. And I have about 15 minutes to bring us into a place where we can, as a people, as a united people, two or three agree, touching any one thing, bring us into a place of unity around an idea so we can actually, in agreement, move something in heaven. So will you open your spirits to me this morning, give me the attention of your inner man, and let me infuse something into your heart that I believe God has spoken from heaven. And as we do that, we'll come into a place of unity, and we'll actually be able to say something. I love that many of the prayers of scripture aren't any longer than 30 seconds, right? But those 30 seconds where God actually exchanges from earth up into heaven can actually shift the destiny of nations, as we see in the book of Daniel. And so preaching is actually to bring us into God's presence and encounter because when Hebrews 4.16, we get before the throne of grace to ask for help in time of need, it's in that place of neediness and desperation for God's help that we come to the cosmic throne and we ask God to change things. And when that happens, when that divine exchange happens, we see justice movements birthed in the church. We see laws begin to change, and we see things in the natural realm begin to shift, and that authority has been given to no one else but the church of Jesus Christ. And if the devil can get us asleep to the God-given authority we have and get us dull and complacent in our heart, he wins. Because once we get before that throne, there's no force in this earth that can stop us, and there's no force in hell that can stop us. But oh, he doesn't want you to get before that throne. He wants to do everything to keep you distracted on your social media feed or in your interpersonal relationships or whatever the circumstances because when we get before the throne of God as the people of God in one accord, the Bible says God will do what we ask him to do. That was my introduction. Genesis 1.26, go there with me. It's a simple word. It's a, such a simple word but it's so profound. The very first time I preached at the International House of Prayer, which is our home church, um, Billy missed a flight, and so he called me. He said, basically, nobody else is available to preach. Will you preach in an hour for me? 
and the Lord had kind of impressed in my heart. Um, he said, you know, you, you, you labor in a ministry, and then it's like the opportunity. You get called up from the minor leagues to the big leagues, right? And the Lord spoke to me a year before, and he said, the first time you're asked to preach, this is what I want you to preach. This is a life verse for you. Second Chronicles 7.14. And I give you this just to tell you the context. This verse is a, a revival verse for me. But yesterday, God spoke it to me in such a way that not only is it a revival verse to me, but it's a reconciliation verse to me now. And I just love when God takes something that we're familiar with and refreshes it in our hearts because the word of God is far deeper than it is wide. Meaning one phrase, one verse, you can just plumb the depth of that one phrase and verse. And that's because this book is alive. Amen. So Genesis 1, 26, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. We could go right there and spend the rest of the day. I wish, I wish in some ways we could. We should do an Imago Day conference because we cannot plumb the depths of the reality in the time that we have of this profound truth that the God who created everything created one thing in his image. The God who created everything, billions of stars, the sun, the moon, this solar system, all the way down to the minuscule most small forms of life, from the ant, you know, to the greatest, the sequoias. I mean, just all life here on this earth. God created it in its beauty and its diversity to display his glory. But there is one thing that is uniquely created in his image. And we know Satan, who is one of the most beautiful of angels, fell from that place of glory as a worshiper of God. And, and out of his hatred, of course, what is he going to attack more than anything? The one thing created in the image of God. That is why any place you see an antichristic spirit, you're going to see a spirit of racism. Because it's a hatred of the image of God in man. And guess what? White people aren't the only people that bear the image of God. Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will worship around the throne of God as the people of God. And each one like a diamond displays a different facet of this truth, Genesis 1, 26, that the Trinitarian God said, let, let, us, let us together, Father, Son, and Spirit, create man in our image. But the Lord spoke to me yesterday, and he said, we all carry his image, but only my church carries my name. I'll say it again. We all bear the image of God, but only my church carries my name. Do you know that means? It means 2 Chronicles 7, 14. When you look at the disarray in our nation and the disunity, if my people who are called by my name, we are uniquely vested by the church of God with the responsibility to deal with the iniquity that's in the land, and if we won't do it, who will? If we won't own it, who can? Because though everyone is created in the image of God, only one people in the earth bear his name. And it's those who've been born again by the Spirit of God. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Glory to God. All authority is in the hands of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The devil has no authority. The kingdom of darkness has no authority. Human kings have no authority. Leaders of nations have no authority. There's one who has authority in heaven and in the earth. 
And this one who has all authority in Matthew 28, he speaks to us. And he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to do what I've commanded you to do. And so this begs the question, with respect to his image and respect to the dignity of all humanity, and when we treat every human being with dignity in the image of God, that is the glorious antidote to all forms of racism. And the fact that God has commissioned us to disciple the nations means there's no one else that can own this story, right? The history, the human history, that is hurtling to one final conclusion. This planet is not going to end. Though global warming may be a crisis, right? It's not going to have a Hollywood ending. It's not going to end with natural disasters and aliens invading from outer space, right? This planet is coming to one final conclusion, and that's the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom on the earth. But it says many things are going to happen before that end comes, and it says ethnotes are going to rise against ethnos. And we know that that time is coming, and Billy's probably going to share about that later, but we have to be aware of this reality that as ethnos rises against ethnos, the church is to be a witness that there is oneness amongst all the tribes, tongues, peoples, and languages, and that is what the the agenda of heaven is, is one united people under the universal fatherhood of God, those who've been purchased by the blood of the lamb, if my people who are called by my name. We are the ones who are called to own it. We are the ones who are called to go to the nations of the earth, the peoples of the earth. And he says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wickedness. And turn from their wickedness doesn't mean answer an altar call where you repent of racism. Turn from your wickedness means go out and live a different life after that altar call in which you stand against racism in every form, right? And so I have to consider what kind of disciples are we making. And there are many social issues in America that matter. The issue of life matters. The issue of marriage and sexual purity matters. But I would dare to say that where the church has sufficiently spoken about those two social agenda points, we've neglected the truth that racism should not be tolerated in our political discourse. It should not be tolerated from our pulpits or in institutions of education, politics, or business and government. Because everywhere that the church of Jesus Christ is, we should be sending forth salt and light. And so I say this with a broken heart. As someone who cares very much about the gospel going forth to the nations and is giving my life to reconciliation and to missions. Beloveds, we don't tell, we don't tell Muslims to go back where you came from. We tell Muslims to come home to Jesus Christ. I go, as a, as a Christian, my witness shouldn't be, get away from me, go somewhere else because I don't like your kind or I don't like your political view. My message should be, come home to your father who loves you. And if our message is anything other than that, then we're defaming the Christian witness and the name with which we've been entrusted. Because WWJD, beloved, What would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? How have we fallen so far from the standard of Jesus Christ that those kinds of chants are in the mouths of people that are professing believers? And so when that kind of thing is happening with clarity and truth and kindness, we have to say that's not the Christian message. It's not. It's come home. There's a father who loves you, and I want to represent 
that love to you. I'll close with this in Daniel 9, and then we're going to get on our faces. Daniel 9. Daniel, it says that when his enemies came against him, that there was no fault that could be found against him. There was nothing that could be spoken against him by his enemies. He was such a man of uprightness and righteousness that those who were looking to accuse him could find nothing to accuse him concerning. And yet in Daniel 9, we see this man of perfect uprightness and righteousness who had not participated in the iniquity and sin of his forefathers cry out before God, Daniel 9, 8. If we could put it on the screen, that would be great. And verse 3 says that in this prayer, Daniel set his face toward the Lord, God, to make requests. You know what it means when you set your face? It means you're going a direction and you're not going to be turned back till you get an answer. A lot of times our prayers don't get answered because we don't set our face. To make requests by prayer and supplication, fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And this is what he prayed, a portion of it. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers. And a lot of times we just gloss right over those things. But Daniel is actually owning the sins of, you could say, his president, his congress, and his own spiritual family. He said, I'm going to own the transgression that I see amongst my leaders and amongst my own household. And then he says, notice the pronouns. To us belongs shame of face and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. If Daniel were brought into our present day, someone might go, Daniel, don't pray that. You didn't own any slaves. Daniel, you've got a black friend. You're all right. (laughs) I'm not saying we shouldn't have black friends. I'm saying we so easily justify ourselves when the Bible says, if my people are called by my name will justify themselves or humble themselves. If my people who are called by my name will excuse their actions or take responsibility for their actions. Because if a body is sick with something, right, the hand or the foot doesn't just go, well, liver and lungs, you take care of that because you're sick. No, if there's sickness in the body, it affects every part of the body, and the body fights it together, right? Through truth and through pressing into God. And that's why we have to own it. And so if part of the body of Christ is sick, we all have to collectively own it before a holy God. And if we will own the transgression of the past and see how it's affecting us in the present and come before God with contrition, then he can actually release mercy and grace and catch this. Daniel understood it. That's why he prayed it. He said, to us belongs shame of face. We have sinned against you. But where sin belongs to us, there's something in this verse that belongs to God. Hallelujah. Because where to us is sin and iniquity, to the Lord our God, hallelujah, belongs mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Let's stand together. We're going to pray. Posture yourself however you please before the Lord, whether it be on your face or with your hands uplifted. But let's engage our bodies in this moment of prayer. Jesus, we thank you that all authority is yours in heaven and earth. And we say, God, that we are so sorry. We are so sorry where we've forsaken your name and held it in disrepute. Lord, where we've apologized for our own sense of rightness. 
and we've not owned it. And we've justified ourselves in our own eyes. And we've been haughty and complacent and hard of heart. And Father, we stand here at the precipice of 400 years of injustice. And we say, God, let it end in our generation. For to our fathers, to our president, to our Congress, to our nation and to our household, to our churches in the city of Atlanta, to us belongs shame of face for our silence in the face of injustice. But God, where we have sinned and where I have sinned, oh God, we ask you for mercy. We say to you, oh God, belongs mercy. To you, oh God, belongs forgiveness. So we are people who are called by your name. We humble ourselves, oh God. Oh God, would you grant us grace to turn from wickedness, to live lives of justice, God. And I pray right now in this moment before your throne of grace that there would be a release, that in our humility we would find grace to change and be different in our churches, in our families, in our hearts before you. So Lord, see us right now. Your eyes go to and fro throughout the earth looking for ones whose hearts are loyal to you, that you would prove yourself strong on our behalf. When your eyes fall yet again on Ebenezer Church in Atlanta, Georgia, find a people again on whose behalf you can prove yourself strong. Oh God of Daniel, we call upon you today to do as you did in Daniel's day and to release a generation from captivity. And release your church into its destiny. In Jesus' name, amen.